Jai Shri Krishna. Namaste. Welcome back, everybody. It's been a while since we've talked face to face. I have spent the last month sick, literally just about a month to the day. Uh, I was horribly sick. I couldn't talk. I couldn't function. I was probably killing my body, or I would have eventually. I had daily heat stroke, and I didn't even know it because I was sitting in the fans all day at work to cool down because the weather's been over 80 degrees, and I didn't know that sitting in front of fans created dehydration, and I it was, it was absolutely horrible. So I wasn't even on YouTube or looking at my phone or doing anything. I'd just be in bed all day after suffering at work, and it was horrible. If you check out the previous episode, episode 49, I detail what happened to me over a month uh, of just misery with a warning to any of you to not do what I did. So I am back now, a slightly different background today, uh, just to spice it up, but also because the other spot, sorry, background noise, if you hear a motorcycle going through, uh, the other spot's near the fan. And if I shut the fan off to do the show, it's 76 degrees and I'm going to be drenched. <laughs> and I've had a month of being always hot. So different background, my books and my girlfriend's plants. And uh, yeah, today we are doing the episode five of the Spiritual Seekers course, a walk through the Vakshanam route. We are picking up today in Loya 10. I'm going to be finishing this uh, part. I thought about this a little bit, and I'm like, no, let's just make the show long if we need to. I'm going to read. I'm going to respond, and we'll just do the full thing because you've been waiting for this next episode, perhaps for a month. I don't want to drag it out anymore, and also I am ready to move on. The previous four episodes have all been thematically very much the same. And I'm pretty sure there are smart people watching me, maybe far smarter than I, and you picked up on the first episode the important lessons and have been waiting for me to move on to something a little different. Maybe not, but you never know. And so I'm ready to move on. I think you might be ready to move on. I feel like we've really gotten this over five episodes, so I don't want to drag it out anymore. And then in the next Spiritual Seekers course uh, class, we will start a new reading, which is on a new topic. And I won't give it away what it is, but it's really, really interesting, and I think you'll really enjoy it. But we'll today finish up Lawyer 10. So we're starting a few pages in about midway through Loya 10. I'm reading from this translation, which is the translation put out by one particular branch of the Swami Narayan Sampradaya. You may have another translation, and there may be some uh, big differences between your translation and the one I'm reading. I have never compared translations back to back. I have a friend who has, though, and he has mentioned that there are often is some differences. So if I read something that's strange to you, feel free to comment on that down below and we can discuss the different translations and, and, you know, the middle ground, for lack of a better word. 
So here we go. Let's do some reading. And then at some point, I'll stop and uh, make some thoughts. And feel free to comment down below also. And yeah. So the words of Sri Swami Narayan. There is also another way to keep one's mind undisturbed. King Janak Videhi was a great devotee of God, and though he lived in his kingdom and enjoyed all sorts of the nicest objects of senses, he remained unaffected by those objects because of his deep knowledge and firmness of mind. One who possesses knowledge like King Janak will think that, I am the self, I am pure, I am spiritual, I am unaffected, I am full of bliss, I am indestructible. He knows that the objects of enjoyment, like women, are full of misery, and that they are worthless, inanimate, and destructible. With such thoughts in his mind, he will consider his own self to be full of bliss. He will think that the happiness derived from the objects of the senses only appears charming because the soul thinks it to be so. But when the soul leaves the body, the same happiness turns disgustful. Thus one should deliberate over his own self and also over God who is above the self. Thus he comes to realize his own self who is beyond the reach of Maya. His self, <laughs> excuse me, <clears throat> left <clears throat> leftover from my sickness is my throat's a little sore, so if I cough, excuse me. His self-realization is the result of his association with the saints. A saint is a devotee of God. And God is the soul of Brahma. And Brahma is the soul of all the creatures of this world. God is the soul even of Akshar. God is the soul of countless redeemed souls also. The individual soul being one with... Brahma is a mere servant of God. He will come to realize the greatness of God. Just pause here. So I was talking to somebody earlier about something. And it kind of relates to this. About knowing oneself. And I said to the, the this friend of mine, I said, I'll tell you. If you ask me to describe my personality and my interests, they basically can be summarized in a few things. I love politics and social issues. I love religion. I love um, old texts of religion and also the personal experience of it. I'm also a writer and a huge reader, as you can see, and also a musician, and I love music. I've done a lot of other things in my life. I've done like almost 300 theater productions. Uh, I've been involved in different uh, groups and this or that. But I said to my friend, 
when I was growing up, I lived in a little town called Bellingham, Washington. I was really active. I was a local historian. You know, I, I knew everybody or not really, but I always could find someone I knew walking down the street. And I had my favorite places to go and that I was frequented and whatever. And then after college, I moved abroad. I moved to Budapest, Hungary. Suddenly, all my friends were gone. All my normal haunts were gone. I couldn't go to my favorite coffee house. Didn't exist anymore. Or I couldn't walk from Budapest to Washington State, you know? I also, when I moved abroad, couldn't carry things with me. Uh, I, at, in college, I was experimenting a lot with painting. wasn't very good. Um, and art stuff. But it's really hard to pack canvases on an airplane, <laughs> uh, particularly when you don't know what you're walking into and paints and whatever. And I found when I moved suddenly some things that I found really, really interesting just were off my radar. I didn't gravitate to them. I never bought paints again. I never bought canvases again. Uh, I, there was things I did. I did a lot of theater, as I said, but I didn't really gravitate to looking for theater groups to work with. I didn't even really go to the theater unless I was kind of pushed or pulled. I enjoyed it, but once I was out of my comfort zone, suddenly it wasn't on my radar. But other things I zoomed in on. For example, I would hear music. Where? Where? Where was the music? Where's it coming from? I remember going to the music stores of Hungary. I didn't know any Hungarian bands, but I wanted to know them. I want to know, you know, famous bands or, you know, Locomotive GT or Omega or whoever. <laughs> I wanted to know these folks. I remember seeing a pressure Grobor, a famous keyboard player once near the house because there was a studio near my apartment. And I mentioned this to my roommate. And he's like, how do you know who pressure Grobor is? You shouldn't know him. But I found myself gravitating to music. I also found myself gravitating to books. I hadn't brought any of my books with me. I own tons, just as many as I do now. But I hadn't brought them with me. I couldn't. And Kindle wasn't a thing. But I was going to the bookstore. I was hunting for the bookstores. I was hunting for Hungarian literature. I really, really wanted to read stuff. And there was other things, uh, politics and religion. I, every day I used to visit the um, Jewish synagogue. It was just a convenient place to walk. And then I would walk home. And uh, I, I was just very interested in that. I would go to the, the cathedrals and wherever. And I discovered myself. I discovered, essentially, things that I found to be really important. And then things that just, well, okay, they were a part of my life at some point and now they're gone. I ended up moving to Japan and then San Francisco. Sorry, San Francisco and then Japan, back to Washington State and then to New York City and then up here to Maine. And... Yes, I would do theater again. Yes, I would try painting again. Complete failure. It's not my thing. But always, I was interested in music. Where are the music stores? I would ask when I moved to New York City. I think I found them within my first week. <laughs> Maybe less than a week. 
where are the bookstores? I knew where those were very fast. And I discovered certain things that I absolutely gravitated to no matter where I lived. I went to uh, San Francisco, got a library card within a week there. That was really important to me. I was doing some theater because I told a friend I was involved in theater. And he goes, oh, I'll get you involved in this. But eh, I didn't really care one way or the other. And it was really very interesting to discover this aspect of myself because I thought I had all these interests. And, and I do on some level. But when it came down to it, there was only certain things that were really important to me. And I got to know myself. I also got to know that lessons my mother taught me were not valid living in a foreign country. As a friend said, you need to download that program and upload a new one. Your mother program doesn't work if you're not within her view. And I really got to know myself. Um, and I got, did a lot of stupid things to find myself. But it was, it was a learning experience. Like college was a learning experience where I'm trying to find out who I am and all and this was like post-college doing it all over again. And I discovered like religion was super important to me. And a lot of things that I liked, to rephrase, I found, as I said, I didn't really enjoy them as much. You know, as I said, I've done close to 300 theater productions. If someone came to me right now and said, Aaron, would you be interested in doing some theater with me? Uh, it could be a Zoom, it could be live, whatever. I would probably say yes. The last two things I did, I actually starred in two productions, but they were so poorly organized, so horribly rehearsed that I just was like, I'm done, I hate this. So I just walked away and I don't go to the theater anymore. And, um, you know, I just kind of pulled back. But if the opportunity was there, I would go and I would do it. And I try my best to do a professional job. But it's not something I look for actively. I don't write theater productions as much as I used to. I write other things now. It's not, I'm not being driven. I don't have the satisfaction from it, though I would do it. But I, I think that makes sense. I'm looking at a line of book right now. It goes, uh, he will think that the happiness derived from the objects of the senses only appears charming because the soul thinks it to be so. And that's the realization I had. There was things I liked and then kind of, well, I discovered I didn't really like them. They, they didn't provide to me things that I enjoyed. I enjoyed theater at one point because I worked in a really good theater with pretty much decent people. When I went to this other thing a few years ago, it was just people who didn't care. They literally were like, the best we can do is a high school production. I'm like, no, you can do better. But they didn't care, so it ruined everything. And so the essence of it was important. Whereas and I can read a bad book and I don't care. I'll read a bad book. So that's what I thought of when I read this first bit was finding yourself and how do you find yourself? I've gone on here telling about how I found myself, a long, difficult journey, but how did you find yourself? And that's really important. And I talk about that a lot here is finding yourself because I think that's the first step to any spiritual place is finding yourself. 
So then you can find something bigger than yourself. And then you can connect with that bigger and be the servant that that bigger wants you to be. Anyways, let's keep reading here in the Vachanam root. Even Brahma and other gods have not been able to know your greatness fully because your greatness is boundless. What more shall I say? You also do not know your greatness fully. Such texts of the Shruti establish the greatness of God. One who possesses the knowledge of the nature of his own self, as well as that of God as above, will not in the least be disturbed in his mind, even if he happens to get the nicest objects of senses to enjoy. He, of course, enjoys the objects of senses like sound, touch, etc., but he is never overwhelmed by them. He enjoys them by his own will, just as the spider spreads his thread and takes it back when he wants to do so. Similarly, one who possesses knowledge lets his mind reach the objects of senses and draws it back when he wants. Pause here for a moment. What are we talking about? Unattachment and attachment. And I've talked about this in, in previous episodes and how important this unattachment and attachment is. You can enjoy things, but the attachment can, you know, you, you need to be able to unattach to find the greater thing. To continue, such a person is as good as he is in the forest, though he is in his own kingdom. And though he may be in the forest, he enjoys greater bliss than when he was in his own kingdom. Such a person may live in his own kingdom. Thousands of people may pay obedience to his commands, and he may be in possession of great wealth. Yet, he will not consider himself to be a very great man. In case his kingdom is lost and he has to go begging from house to house, with an earthen bowl in his hand, he will not consider himself to be poor because he always remains thrilled with joy in his mind. He has realized the greatness of God as well as his own self. He looks at gold, dirt, iron, and stone with an equal eye. He accepts honor and insult equally. Nothing in this world can take such a person into bondage because his vision is widespread and all the products of Maya are worthless for him. Something else that we've talked about extensively here, this uh, trap of Maya and seeing, oh, that's a beautiful, expensive jewel. Oh, that's a rock. Eh, I'll take the jewel. Unless you're a geologist and then that rock, that rock might look pretty awesome, even better than the jewel. <laughs> it's all in perspective. Actually, that's a pretty good example now that I think about it. You know, the jewel that you wear on your finger is so beautiful compared to this dirty old dusty rock, but to the geologist, it's the rock that holds maybe a, a secret to some tectonic movement. But which is really more valuable? Almost 
one might say neither, or they're both equally valuable. I don't know. Let us continue to read. Feel free to put your thoughts down below. Suppose a person is a pauper in the beginning, but by chance he gains a kingdom. In that case, his vision becomes wider. In the beginning, he may be selling logs of wood and doing such other menial jobs. But once he gains a kingdom, he forgets everything and begins to do more responsible jobs for the preservation of his kingdom. In the same way, all the things of this world are worthless for a man of knowledge because he possesses knowledge and his vision is wider. One becomes happy if one understands this. One who has trust in God and his saints understands that whatever they say must be true. Their words are not to be doubted. He acts according to whatever the Lord and his saints say. Only those who possess such knowledge and have trust in the words of the Lord and his saints become happy. The rest become unhappy. It is said in the Srimad Bhagavatam that one who is extremely ignorant in this world and one who has realized him, who is beyond the grasp of intelligence, only these two become happy. The rest are worried by misery. I have said many times that since I started this channel, uh, where I started reading scriptures. So if you're watching this on any of my outlets other than Rumble, you will see that I read scriptures here. And that's how this channel started over a year ago, was just, just to read the scriptures like this one. I have said that it changed my life. It made me feel better. It made me feel happier. And I have my ups and downs like anyone. Obviously, I was sick for the last month. But something was pushed up, lifted up in me by hearing the words of the Lord. I don't know. Come back to me in a year, see what I say. I, on multiple occasions, have done a live show and confessed to not feeling good coming into it and walking away going, oh, I feel so much better now. Actually, when I started this, I was coughing just before I went live. And even though I did cough once, I don't feel quite as bad, even though I'm talking a lot. And I feel full of energy, actually more energy than when I came in. And I'll be honest, I am sweating right now. It is so warm in here. And I'd put another fan in the window to help. But you wouldn't, you'd probably be able to hear it. It'd just be annoying. And, oh, it's, it's really bad. And um, yet I feel full of energy hearing these words of the Lord. So that's, that's my personal feeling that this is, this is positive. I, I, I'm, the book is saying that it'll make you happy. I'm, I'm vouching for it from my own personal experience. I think personal experience is a great um, way of to validate things to continue reading. Excuse me, I mentioned coughing and now I'm going to cough. <coughs> the rest are worried by misery, I said. Ah, it is also said in the Bhagavad Gita 
All other senses except the sense of taste are pacified if one abstains from food. But when he realizes the ultimate reality, even the sense of taste is also pacified. Thus, one whose vision reaches beyond the ordinary level will consider everything except God to be worthless. But the verses mean the same thing. Thus spoke Sri Swaminarayan. Then Muktanan Swami asked, Maharaj, now please state the question which you were going to ask. Maharaj replied, Are there only miseries in Maya? Or is there some happiness always? Let's pause there. What do you think? Are there always miseries? Or is there happiness also? Or to rephrase, is the happiness always going hand in hand with miseries or covering up the miseries? Is there any true happiness in Maya? You know where the comments are. Down below, let me know. To continue, Muktanan Swami replied, Maya is nothing but the source of miseries. Would you agree with him? Shriji Maharaja replied, The three attributes, Sattva, Rajas, and Tamas, are the products of Maya. Out of the three, Sattva is said to be the source of happiness. It is said in the Srimad Bhagavat, the attribute of Sattva leads to the realization of God. So knowledge, non-attachment, discretion, tranquility, restraint are considered the precious possessions of Satvunkan. Then how can you say that Maya is the source of miseries only? Now it is also said in the 11th canto, the Srimad Bhagavatam, you must know that knowledge and ignorance both are my bodies. They are the products of Maya from the very beginning. Knowledge leads to the liberation of mankind, and ignorance leads to their bondage. If knowledge, the product of Maya, can lead to liberation, how can Maya be the source of miseries? We'll just pause here. What do you think about that? Now, as I just said, maybe uh, misery and happiness go together. So we have the Sattva, Rajas, and Tamas, and they often aren't just alone, they're often together. So can we just have happiness? Leaving the question out there. Let us continue to read. On hearing this question, all the saints, including Muktanan Swami, said, Maharaj, we are not able to give the right answer to this question. Please be merciful and give the answer yourself. Thereupon, Maharaj said, The appearance of Yamaraj seems very frightful to sinful persons. They are terrified to look at his long teeth and big face. His enormous body looks as big as a mountain and as black as soot and ferocious like Kali. These features of Yamaraj are the source of miseries 
for the sinner. But to the virtuous souls, the same Yamaraj looks very pleasant. He appears like Lord Vishnu. Similarly, Maya also is the cause of bondage and the source of miseries for the fallen souls. But it is the source of extreme happiness for the devotee of God. For them, the senses, their presiding deities, and the conscious, which are the product of Maya, all of them nourish their devotion unto God. Hence, Maya is not the cause of miseries for the devotee of God. It is rather the source of extreme happiness for them. That's a lot like the example I used earlier of the rock the geologist sees. I, I haven't read this chapter. I, I did read it before I started the series, but it's been a while, so I forgot where I was going. So it's just coincidence I gave that um, example, but it is a good example. A normal person just sees this dirty, horrible rock. Somebody else, a geologist, sees history, sees past worlds, uh, society, whatever. It's all in perspective. So while the devotees of God, whoever they are, householders, saints, are trapped in Maya, are seeing Maya, are affected by Maya, they let it rejuvenate them. They see the rock as something greater, not just dirt and something in the ground, which the jewelry store isn't interested in. The Maya... It's almost like they use the Maya for their benefit. They don't let it hurt them. They understand I'm dealing with Maya right now. Oh, it's so frustrating. But they use that Maya. They get something good out of it. That's an interesting approach, really, when you think about it. How often do we do things where we let things influence us. We let people influence us. And we do things which we know are bad, which we know are detrimental, which we know are stupid. And we know better. <laughs> and we could have done something different. We could have controlled the situation, but we didn't. We just kind of went with it for whatever reason. I'm trying to think of an example. I've probably given examples because this it's something I have mentioned in many shows, but I know you could probably think of one too. This is telling us to control what is around us, to not let things affect us. Yes, we have this experience, but we can maybe control it. I think so. So for those just joining, thank you uh, for chiming in halfway through. We're nearing the end of Loya 10. I'm going to finish it today and, and then start something new on the next video. So the last few paragraphs. Muktanand Swami said, If, as you say, Maya is the source of happiness, then what is the reason that Maya, in the form of consciousness causes unhappiness to the devotee of God when he is engaged in his worship and holds his image in his heart by raising conflicting thoughts in his heart. 
Shriji Maharaja replied, Maya in the form of consciousness never becomes a source of unhappiness for a devotee who knows the greatness of God and has taken a firm refuge unto him. But it does become a source of unhappiness for a devotee whose faith in the refuge unto God is shaky. That little bit is worth contemplating. <laughs> I often, I find, I mention this on other shows, I find myself interacting with Christians a lot because I'm surrounded by them here in town and I, I've, I've known a lot over the years. And I'll talk to them about God. We'll talk about religion. And so often... I find that they can tell me uh, about this history or that thing, or they, they've read this book, but their relationship with God is maybe not there. They may not actually have one. They believe God exists, and that's kind of it. And then they've read a bunch of books about God. And I'll confess, I'm no theologian, but I have very firm faith in God. Undoubtable, unquestionable. And so I'll be talking to these people and I'll say something very casual and I, I'll get back a response of, well, you know, I don't, I don't really know. I'm not really too sure. They don't have that, that firm foundation. And that, that's fine, of course. That, you know, we all are in different places in our life. But it is important to find that foundation, I think. I think it's important to find that because, as it says here, you know, if you have a faith that is shaky, it affects other things. It'll, it'll bring unhappiness when you're facing Maya. That firm faith can carry you through so many things that seem overwhelming, <laughs> that seem impossible, to seem... Like, there's no light at the end of this tunnel, or how am I going to dig out of this tunnel? That firm faith will, will take care of you. Really, it will. And that sounds crazy to someone who maybe doesn't have it. But I, I believe that. Perhaps someone who's watching the show can think of an example where they've been in a case, uh, or they are in a situation where... They're just doing what they feel is the right thing to do. But when they think about tomorrow, it, it might be a little scary. But they know, they know God will take care of them. I had a friend of mine say that to me actually recently. He texted me before I got sick um, that he was dealing with some stuff in his life. And he goes, but I trust in God. And my thought was, yeah, you're taking risks, and this is going to be a big adventure, and I really hope it ends up well for you. But, man, you know, I, I actually admired him because he has that firm faith that he's going to get through this. And that inspired me. That, that really inspired me. Uh, uh, you know, it's good to hear that. Even if you have firm faith, it's good to remind others, and it's good to say it out loud. And there are times where our faith might be very shaky. Been there a million times. I'm open about it on this show. 
And, and that's where just picking up these books or reading the literature or whatever can get you back on track. Anyways, uh, before I ramble, let's conclude this Vachon route, the final paragraph. If a member of the Holy Fellowship is rather immature, then some vicious person will try to make him falter from his faith in God. But no one will dare to make him falter from his faith in God if he is a mature and confirmed devotee. No one will dare to speak ill of the holy fellowship before him. Hence, Maya, in the form of consciousness, will not dare to shake such a devotee from his faith in God and will not dare to make him unhappy. It will, on the contrary, nourish his devotion. It will try to make only such devotees unhappy whose faith in the refuge unto God is not so firm and cause him to falter from his devotion and makes him unhappy. Thus, the answer to your question is that Maya will never be able to shake him from his devotion and harass him if he has taken full refuge unto God. Thus ends Loya 10 in the Vaksham Roots, the words of Sri Swami Narayan. From two centuries ago and still incredibly valid, give or take, give or take a few decades. Uh, as I said earlier, the, the monks and aesthetics and holy men, they are trapped in Maya, like the rest of us, surrounded by it. But their faith is firm, and they're well-grounded, and they do things that keep their faith firm, and they do things that keep themselves well-grounded. And thus, even though Maya is right in front of them, they're able to, as I said earlier, they're able to see great things in that Maya. It reaffirms their faith in God instead of bringing them down. So really, we, we ended this reading talking about one's foundation, one's, one's belief. And, and he could have kept going on that alone. That's just really so important. It, it's the foundation of your house. What is your house? Is it built on uh, stilts? Is it built on cement? <laughs> if Is it try to floating in the air and crashing down? Anyways. That brings us to the end of this Vachamrut. As I said at the beginning of the show, in the next uh, Spiritual Seekers class, we'll start a new Vachamrut with a new theme. And I'm very excited about where that is going. And it's nice to be back. Um, if you had caught me a couple weeks ago, I would not have been able to do this show. I would have been literally sitting here coughing and throwing up and probably passing out. Um, and so it's nice to be able to return and, and do things with you. And hopefully this evening time might be beneficial to some of you if you should want to watch early, uh, want to watch live, excuse me. Uh, so, yeah, we're going we're gonna to close it there. And I appreciate your thoughts, your comments after the fact. Um, as we go through the Vaksham route, different parts of it. And so, yeah. I think that sounds like a good place to end this. It's just nice being back.
It's nice talking to you. And this is my 50th episode, six months ago, starting this thing. Thank you for joining me for 50 episodes. And until 51, be well, take care of yourselves. Uh, stay cool in this heat, however you manage to do it. Um, and it's not easy. And I know here in Maine, it, like I said, it's 70 something degrees before I started this show. In other places, it's it's horrible, um, but take care of yourself. And uh, until next time, thank you for your best wishes for me. Today and yesterday were the first two days I felt normal, which meant that I didn't get any sleep <laughs> after a week of being on Robitussin and knocking myself out every night and having a wonderful sleep where even the cats didn't wake me up. Now I'm back to my normal insomnia with the cats waking me up. So life is back to normal in its strange way. <laughs> so thank you for joining me. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Be well. Your comments are always welcome. Thank you, Ananda, for watching. Jai Shri Krishna. Jai Shri Swaminarayan. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Krishna Krishna. Hare Hare. Hare Rama. Hare Rama. Rama Rama. Hare Hare.